0: Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Brian Dainsburg podcast. Christian living in a complicated world, I'm your host, Brian Dainsburg, lead pastor of Alliance Bible Church located in beautiful southeast Wisconsin. Today, we are diving into a very practical topic. We've had some heady stuff over the recent months, uh, maybe some stuff that's academic a uh, very practical topic that I want to talk about today, the topic of busyness. And in part, I want to talk about it today because it's September and everything starts in September. September feels like a new year. You've got a school year starting, you've got a ministry year starting, and it, things get busy. So I want to tackle this. I want to be very practical as we think through the issue of busyness. Now, a couple of preliminary points I want to make before we get into this um, because when I go after this, I don't want I don't mean to disparage um things or undercut other things in talking about busyness. And so the first preliminary point is to understand that work is good. Work is good. Uh, work is not a product of sin. Work existed before there was sin. When God created the universe twice, that is described as work. God worked to create the universe, and likewise, Genesis 2.15 says, the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. This is before there was sin. So, from the beginning, God intended human beings to work. Uh, Whether you're too busy because you're working too much is for you to discern as you listen to the rest of this message. Keep in mind God's pattern, six days of work, one day of rest. I think that's a good pattern to hold to today. That's the first preliminary point work is good. Second preliminary point, laziness is bad. Laziness is bad. Proverbs 6, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. So. The antidote to busyness is not laziness. These are important things to keep in mind. Preliminary points, work is good, laziness is bad. Now, let me talk about some reasons you're too busy. Let's get to the core of this. I think I'm going I'm to mention four reasons you're too busy. Four reasons you're too busy. And I'm going at this from the perspective of a heart motivation, because that in the end is what governs our behavior. Reason number one, I'm trying to prove myself. I'm trying to prove myself. When you meet someone for the first time, one of the first questions that's asked usually is, so what do you do for a living? Now, when someone asks you that, what is your gut reaction? In shame and embarrassment, do you think to yourself, oh, I wish wish I really didn't have to answer that question? Or do you think with a sense of pride, I'm really glad I get to answer that question. I can't wait to see the look on their face when I tell them what I do for a living, the thoughts and feelings that come to mind when someone asks this question, what do you do for a living, says a lot about you. If if that question, and I want to, let's think about this, if that question is one you're either ashamed of answering or really eager to answer, it may indicate you're trying to prove yourself. Let me say that again. If that question, what do you do for a living, is one you're either ashamed of answering or one you're really eager to answer, either one of those responses may indicate you're trying to prove yourself. John Adams, second president of the United States, once said, every person is strongly actuated by a desire to be seen, heard, talked of, approved, and respected. He said we all have a passion for distinction. And this is one of the reasons we're crazy busy. We're busy because we need to convince ourselves we're somebody. And oftentimes, we won't convince ourselves we're somebody until we've convinced the world around us we're somebody. We're all plagued by this. We're all plagued by this inherent voice that says, I need to prove myself. And so you keep going, you keep going, you keep going, you keep going until you have proved yourself, whatever that looks like. We have a passion for distinction. We want notoriety. We have to prove ourselves. We have to prove to others we're somebody. Here's the deal. What Jesus did for you on the cross has given you all the notoriety you'll ever need. Stop trying to use your accomplishments to convince yourself you're somebody. Jesus has already declared you a somebody when he willingly went to the cross for you. So that's one reason I'm trying to prove myself. Second reason you might be crazy busy, dealing with busyness, too busy, is I'm trying to meet others' expectations. So another reason you're busy is that you just can't say no. The thought of disappointing someone is terrifying to you because you fear their rejection and you're addicted to their praise. By saying yes, you get applause from the people around you and you feel good about yourself. And that approval is intoxicating. So, you say yes to more and more people until you find yourself so busy, you're running on fumes. Proverbs 29, 25 is a good verse to remember in this instance. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. So, this verse is saying people-pleasing is a trap. Being an approval junkie is not something the Bible celebrates. Why? Because For an approval junkie, other people's opinions matter more to them than God's. See, one of God's goals for your life is for you to care more about what he thinks of you than what others think of you. Now, let me work the gospel into this, because here's the beautiful thing about the gospel. If you are born again, you already have all the approval you'll ever need. Getting a bunch of people to clap for you by saying yes to their every desire is a drop of approval compared to the ocean of approval God has heaped on you because of what Christ has done for you. Third reason we're busy. Third heart motivation we're too busy is I'm trying to control things. We're trying to control things. We're trying to control our control our financial security, we're trying to control our reputations, we're trying to control our children's future. So here's the principle. Insecurity breeds long hours. Insecurity breeds long hours. Insecurity over our financial future can cause us to work too many hours. Insecurity over our reputations can cause us to spend more hours involved with causes that make us look good. Or insecurity over our reputations can cause us to spend long hours circling the wagons when there's bad PR out there about us. Insecurity over our children's future can cause us to overextend them by doing just one more extracurricular activity or just one more hour of homework or just one more AP class. Parents, I think this is a good thing for us to remember. Lord knows my wife and I have screwed up our kids six ways from Sunday. But this is something I think you know we need to talk about. It needs to be said. The best way really to ensure our children's future success is to help them follow and love Jesus. That's the best way. to. You want to ensure your child's future success? Help them follow and love Jesus. You might think, well, just one more extracurricular activity, then they'll have the the social and leadership skills to secure their economic future. Well, I mean, that might be, but to paraphrase Jesus, what does it profit a child to move into a lucrative career but lose their souls? Insecurity breeds long hours. We're busy trying to control things because we don't trust God to get our lives right. We we think we know how our lives are supposed to go, and we try to control them because we don't think God is going to get it right. Really? Do you really think you can do a better job with your life than God can? Written within the context of suffering, the Apostle Paul reminds us of something important. He said, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. God works for the good of those who love him. Fourth reason, you're too busy. I'm trying to make the most of life. It's a big world with lots of opportunities to do lots of things. Seize the day. Life is short. Play more. Go experience this grand world. Not only are we approval junkies, we're experienced junkies, and some of you are busy because you're trying to cram an eternity of experiences into a single lifetime. So here's what I would suggest to you. Save something for the next life. Save something for the next life. If you're a Christian, you're going to have an eternity to experience unbelievable things. Why are you trying to cram it in right now? You want to snorkel in the blue waters of the Mediterranean? Wonderful. You'll have an eternity to do that in the new heavens and the new earth. You want to climb Mount Everest? Super. You'll have an eternity to do that in the new heavens and the new earth. You want to float down the waterways of Venice, Italy? Well, (laughs) you know what I'm going to say? You'll have an eternity to do that in the new heavens and the new earth. One of the reasons you're busy is that you're trying to make the most of this life. But listen, if you're a Christ follower, remember this life is only second best. The life to come is going to be even better and that won't end. You'll have an eternity to make the most of that life. So stop trying to cram it all into this life. So, these are four motivations, four heart motivations that end up propelling our busyness. Some of you are busy because you're trying to prove yourself. If you're a Christian, you don't need to because through Christ, you already have all the notoriety you'll ever need, so you can rest now. Some of you are busy because you're trying to meet everyone's expectations. If you're a Christian, you don't need to because through Christ, you already have all the approval you'll ever need, so rest. Some of you are busy because you're trying to control everything. If you're a Christian, you don't need to control everything because you can't control everything. And the God who does control everything is already looking out for your good in all things. So rest. Some of you are busy because you're trying to make the most out of life. If you're a Christian, you don't have to make the most out of this life because you have an eternity awaiting you. So save something for that one and rest. So these are four reasons with four motivations, um, why we're busy. I want to finish by very quickly offering five practical solutions to your busyness. Now here's the thing with busyness. Busyness isn't a problem that can be solved by doing more. So these five strategies for being less busy is all about helping you to do less. Five solutions to your busyness and it's all about doing less because busyness isn't a problem that can be solved by doing more. Number one, have a time budget. It makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if you're overextended financially, what are you going to do about it? You're probably going to sit down and write out where your money's going. You're going to figure out exactly how you're spending your money. You're going to do this with time. But keep in mind one thing. You might be able to fix money troubles by increasing income. You can't do that with time. Everybody has the same amount and you can't make more of it. If you're overextended with time, the only way to fix that is to cut because you can't create more of it. All right. So the first application to be less busy is to make sure you have a time budget, establish a time budget. Second disappoint somebody. Yes, I'm giving you permission to disappoint somebody. Just listen to this from Mark chapter one. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. Notice here that Jesus, God in the flesh, the second person of the Trinity, didn't do it all. By not healing everyone, by not ministering to everyone, did Jesus disappoint anybody? Well, imagine living in the first century. You're blind. You hear this guy, Jesus, is healing people left and right. You travel a full day on foot to go see him. You're in a long line with others who have physical and emotional problems waiting to have Jesus heal you. And just as you're about to get to Jesus, he decides to leave and go to another town to preach or to get away with his disciples or get away by himself to pray. How disappointing is that for you? Now, here's the kicker. Jesus disappointed people and he never sinned by doing so. Jesus didn't say no, by the way, let's qualify this. He didn't say no to healing more people so he could go watch the game at Buffalo Wild Wings. He said no to one good thing in order to spend time doing another good thing. He said no to healing more people so he could spend time in prayer. But Jesus is showing us something. He's showing us it's possible to disappoint people and still be holy in doing so. Did you hear that? It's possible to disappoint people and still be holy in doing so. So just because you've disappointed someone by saying, no, we're not meeting their expectations, doesn't mean you've sinned. Jesus disappointed people. Maybe you need to as well. Third strategy, practice, sleep, rest, and Sabbath. Practice, sleep, rest, and Sabbath. According to the CDC, 40 million Americans get about six hours of sleep or less a night. Study after study has shown how sleep deprivation can trigger problems like diabetes and obesity. Uh, K. Anders Erikson did a study of violinists. This was interesting. He wanted to know why some violinists became great and why some were just good. Interestingly, Erikson discovered one of the differences between the great violinists and the good violinists was the amount of sleep each got over the course of a week. The great violinists slept more during the week than, than the good ones. Why? The brain is capable of a higher degree of excellence when it is rested. Psalm 127 says this, In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Did you hear that? God grants sleep to those whom he loves. Sleep is a gift from God expressing his love to you. Do you think of it as such? When you go to bed, do you think, God, thank you for this expression of your love for me. Thank you for this gift of sleep. So are you practicing a Sabbath? Sabbath. God set the pattern at the very beginning. He worked six days and rested one. Are you practicing the Sabbath? Are you taking a break from your regular grind to invest in your most important relationships? Do you use the Sabbath to nurture your most important relationships? Are you practicing a Sabbath rest for your body and your mind? There's an interesting event that is recorded in 1 Kings 19. The prophet Elijah has had a run-in with some, um, some bad dudes, and he's... Being chased by Jezebel, she wants Elijah's head. So Elijah flees into the wilderness. He comes to an oversized bush. He sits down underneath it and asks God to take his life. Elijah is so drained of strength, he wants to die. He falls asleep under this bush. An angel comes to Elijah, cooks him a meal, wakes him up, wakes him up, and says, Eat. And so Elijah eats. He falls asleep again. And then the angel cooks him another meal, wakes him up, and says, Eat. And so Elijah eats and drinks. And the text says he felt strengthened. Very interesting. That's it. That was all the that was that was the only purpose the angel was sent. Sometimes what we need most is a nap and a meal. So one of the reasons you're crazy busy is that you're not practicing sleep rest and sabbath. Fourth, turn off the screens. Earl Miller is a neuroscientist at MIT. He's one of the world's leading experts on the topic of the subject of divided attention. Miller contends multitasking is actually a myth. He says this, we're not wired to multitask well. When people think they're multitasking, they're actually just switching from one task to another very rapidly. And every time they do, there's a cognitive cost in doing so. The subject was addressed in an article in the UK Guardian. It writes, Multitasking has been found to increase the production of the stress hormone cortisol as well as the fight-or-flight hormone adrenaline, which can overstimulate your brain and cause mental fog or scrambled thinking. Multitasking creates a dopamine addiction feedback loop, effectively rewarding the brain for losing focus and for constantly searching for external stimulation. What's all that saying when you put all that together? What's it saying? Well, it's saying that our screen activity is actually giving us the illusion we're busy and a thirst for more of it. I mean, the, the the advent of all these electronic devices, right, has poured gasoline on this fire. I mean, think about all the multitasking done on those devices. You might be going through your receipts and whatever app you're using, and you get a Facebook notification that pops up, so you, ho- you hop over there to check it out. Then you remember there's a sale going on, and so you open up that app, Uh, Then you were waiting for that email from somebody about tomorrow's schedule, and you go over there and you check that. I mean, in 30 seconds, you've bounced around to four different things, giving you the illusion you're crazy busy and causing your brain to get addicted to this kind of activity. When in actuality, are you crazy busy? Not really. (laughs) Blaise Pascal, scientist, mathematician, physicist, Christian philosopher said it best. He said, I've often said... That the sole cause of man's unhappiness is that he does not know how to stay quietly in his room. Busyness isn't a problem that can be solved by doing more, so do less. Turn off your screens, turn them off. Uh, I would go so far as to say, you know, in in light of what Pascal said, and others have said, by the way, they picked up on what he said, that is, we need to practice how to be bored, to sit quietly in a chair. With nothing in our hands, but to look around, look around at the backyard, to look around at the room. Practice being bored, see what happens. Last, sit at the feet of Jesus. You know this story well, Luke 10. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Martha's busy cooking a meal, doing the dishes, cleaning the house, mowing the yard. Mary is reading the Bible. Jesus says Mary has chosen to do what is best. If you aren't regularly sitting at the feet of Jesus, I will say you're too busy. If you're not regularly sitting at the feet of Jesus, you're too busy. Earlier, I mentioned you need to have a time budget. And when you're overextended with time, you need to figure out where to cut. There was a point in time where I tried doing this. I had spreadsheets. I had charts figuring out how to decide where, uh, what to cut. But it, I did all this. It was just too complicated. So here's what I did. I took a page out of Charles Dewig's book, The Power of Habit, and you don't need to agree with everything in there to see the wisdom of this one point he makes. Duhigg contends that if we concentrate on one specific habit— rather than the thousands of areas that make up our busy lives, we're more likely to be successful, not just in that one area, but in many others. If you make it your one resolute, firm goal to spend time each day reading God's word and talking to him in prayer, you will start to see other areas of your life change. One of the positive side effects of making it a firm goal To spend time each day reading God's Word is that you have to carve out time to do that, which means maybe there's less screen time happening in your life, or maybe you're going to bed earlier so you can get up earlier to spend time doing that, or maybe you're saying no to some other good thing so you can get that time in God's Word and prayer. And so I think something to consider would be... um, A way to to cut from your time budget is to set one firm, resolute goal goal to spend time each day in God's word and prayer. When you make that your one firm, resolute goal, you will find you are cutting from other areas and are bringing your time budget into balance. Tim Keller put it well, why, why it is sitting at the feet of Jesus is important. He said this if we give priority to our outer life, our inner life will be dark and scary. We will not know what to do with solitude. We will be deeply uncomfortable with self examination. We will have increasingly short attention spans for any kind of reflection. Even more seriously, our lives will lack integrity. Outwardly, we will need to project confidence, spiritual and emotional health, and wholeness, while inwardly we may be filled with self-doubts, anxiety, self-pity, and old grudges. Yet we won't know how to go into the inner rooms of the heart, see clearly what is there, and deal with it. In short, unless we put a priority on the inner life, we turn ourselves into hypocrites. This is what happens when we aren't regularly sitting at the feet of Jesus. We may have a beautiful exterior, but an unlivable interior. If you're not regularly sitting at the feet of Jesus, you're just too busy. Tim's wife, Kathy, illustrated it really well. She said, imagine you were diagnosed with such a lethal condition that the doctor told you that you could die within hours unless you took a particular medicine, a pill, every night before going to bed. Imagine that you were told that you could never miss it or you would die. Would you forget? Would you not get around to it some nights? No. It would be so crucial that you wouldn't forget. You would never miss. That's how crucial it is to open open God's word and sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to him and talk with him in prayer. So here's to being less busy. And I hope in so doing, you find yourself reaching for heights in your intimacy with Jesus Christ. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time.